WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. You've been listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. We are on the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. Welcome. Welcome. Um, I'm Nina Kunimoto, and I'm Marisa Nielsen. And today, um, our topic is goes along with the song that we just started with, Schoolhouse Rock. Um, it's going to be math and math and social justice integrated together. Um, we interviewed Jadiella Cruz, um, 
and she is a um, math coach in the Holyoke Public Schools. Um, and this is a part two um, of this series of math, integrating math and social justice. Um, we interviewed artist C Street, who works in the Boston Public Schools. Um, we'll talk, a, Marissa and I will talk a little bit about that. Um, but just to recap, Last week's show, um, last week, uh, we, Indigo Radio, interviewed Patrick O'Neill. Um, he, in fact, the um, Kings Bay Plowshare 7 uh, was in the news. If you listen to Democracy Now!, I don't know if he was on CNN. I doubt they'd be on Fox. <laughs> but um, th they were on Democracy Now! Um, for Thursday because... Um, so Patrick O'Neill was already sentenced. Um, he forwarded me his email from the federal um, federal courts that he has to show up for to go to prison um, on mid January, like mid January fourteenth for fourteen months. Um, but there there were seven, and I think he and Liz McAllister were the first two defendants, and then there were others that were subsequently. Um, charged and um, sentenced, and they were sentenced for, I think, a year or over a year, 14 months, that's over a year. <laughs> I mean, that's how long uh, Patrick O'Neill was, um, was sentenced, and he'll be serving. Uh, so if you missed last week's show, um, it was, I really enjoyed um, speaking with, with Patrick. Um, he's very dynamic, and you know, he goes into the history of um, Daniel and Philip Berrigan and the anti-war movement and Vietnam War and, and the anti-nuclear weapons movement. And he talks about why it's so important to um, stand up against war. Um, so if you didn't get a chance, please check out um, our archives either on SoundCloud or on iTunes um, podcast. Thanks, Nina. So yeah, we're excited to talk um, a little bit about math today. And um, like Nina said, we have one interview today, but we wanted to connect it to, to the recording we did earlier, Nina did earlier about math as well. And I'll just say that I chose that song at the beginning because my father is a math teacher or he, he's a retired math teacher. And he told me that the writer of that song wrote that song when he was trying to teach his children how to multiply. <laughs> so um, music can be very powerful. Now the lyrics in that song are um, definitely coming from a, a Western European analysis of the world. You, you hear about the Holy Trinity and a man and a woman had a little baby. Um, so there's always contradictions. Um, within whatever we do, but I do have to say that as an elementary school teacher who teaches all subjects, I have definitely used uh, Schoolhouse Rock <laughs> to do <laughs> some math teaching um, for sure. So that was why I chose that one this, the, this today. Well, it was definitely a fun catch <laughs> to start off with. Um, so you had mentioned um, yeah, contradictions uh, in terms of math. Do you, like, tell me a little bit about, you know, I mean, the the two people I interviewed, you know, artists, worked with uh, secondary students and um, Jariela, uh, in, in this week's interview, works with middle grades, but you work with elementary. Um, can you tell 
How do you integrate social justice into your math lessons? Sure. I mean, I think it's tricky because uh, because math um, math explains the world much like science explains the world. Um, and so our choice of how we teach kids to use math tools and how we teach kids to interpret um, can really weigh heavily on who they become as um, sense makers in the world. So we use a program at my school. Um, it's called Go Math. Um, and it's similar to other programs um, that I've also used, um, but it's, it's pretty uh, teacher directed. Um, so it's a little bit tricky to integrate social justice concepts within the math lesson itself. Um, typically what I do is I do a little mini lesson about the uh, topic that we're on. You know, today we're learning about skip counting by fives, uh, tens and hundreds. We're, um, so I taught them about how to find patterns um, within numbers. Um, so that was the, the main mini lesson was about finding patterns in numbers, which, as you can imagine, we can extrapolate that to um, many different things in the world that we are looking for patterns within um, that, that some people might not want us to see. <laughs> um, and so, so even just in a simple lesson that hasn't really much to do with, um, you know, a traditional social justice topic, I'm still teaching them how to find patterns in numbers. And so when they encounter numbers in an, another place in their life, they'll remember how to look for those patterns. I really like how you say that numbers and, and math is a way of making sense of the world. Um, and I think Jariela um, says the same thing, you know, in her interview that it, it's a way of, of really understanding the world. Um, so I think yeah. that's, that's a great way of putting it, of making sense of the world. And Artis too, I think, you know, in his interview, I, I appreciated how he talked about um, getting students to recollect their own experiences with math. Um, and even at a young age, I think even I teach second grade. So even at second grade levels, having kids start by thinking about their relationship to math and numbers um, is a really important way to start. Um, because if we're not putting ourselves in relation to the content that we're learning um, and others too, if we're not having that constant um, sort of uh, dialectical uh, thinking, then um, it's not really making sense for us deep within. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know I, I'm just recollecting my own experiences of math learning and I had, I had no connection at all. It was algebra and it, it was in this world of abstractions. Um, and I can tell you that I, I have negative reactions to math. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of those too. people. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. When I said my dad is a math teacher, he would try and try to get me to think about, like, the bigger picture and all of these different ways of thinking about a problem. And all I wanted to do was finish my math homework. <laughs> so right. I would cry. <laughs> there were lots of tears at the dinner table over oh, math homework. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. But I, I feel like, you know, 
being a not being a math person and then interviewing two people about math has definitely um, made me think about math in a different way and and the importance of it, not just in math classrooms, but also in the social sciences. And I know Jadiella brings that up um, of how, you know, people, for example, who teach social studies, they deal, you know, charts and tables and numbers and years, and then those are numbers too. Um, but it, that as the mathematical aspect and interpreting, and she said statistics are really important. And I think mm -hmm. that's important too. And also, I think she talks about reliable sources as well and um, knowing what's a reliable source sort of it spans the social science, math, uh, physical science um, spectrum. Um, I think it's, it's tricky because you and I seem to have had a similar math experience maybe where there's a lot of rote um, memorization, a lot of learning how to do a problem and then repeating it a lot of times. Um, I think we compartmentalize lots of things in public schools and even in the very early grades, you know, one of the reasons why I love being an elementary school teacher is because I get the kids all day long. I get to teach them all the subjects. And so I have all of this space to make the connections and yet yep. still it's compartmentalized for me. My schedule is, is given to me. I have my 60 minutes of math. I have my uh, 45 minutes of reading and 30 minutes of writing and you know so on and so that kind of compartmentalization is um, difficult because we when we're making sense of the world around us we don't compartmentalize we might categorize um, and but we're always making connections and so um, to limit children's ability to make connections from math to science to uh, social studies um, really limits how they can understand the world as they get older too, and now as children. I think it's so interesting you bring that up because that's exactly what I was going to bring up next was this compartmentalization. And I walked over and got this book called Europe and the People Without History. And, and in the forward, um, forward or the introduction, um, the author, Eric our wolf talks about you know how through historically through the enlightenment these you know subjects math and history and um science that all became isolated and compartmentalized um so it's there's definitely a, a historical trajectory of and a purpose to that um and yeah they don't talk to each other they don't they're not connected at all. And I would connect that too with our analysis of um, people, <laughs> I guess, in the world. Um, you know, I was thinking about the Mismeasure of Man book um, when I was listening to one of these interviews and how we assign um, certain traits or characteristics to certain groups of people and we disconnect that from the historical reality of how uh, those you know, how we have come to see people around us. And, um, and that's why I think I have a hard time with the culturally responsive um, teaching part too, because I think that um, just, just that term culturally responsive implies that um, there are groups of cultures of people who um, 
uh, inherently learn differently. And I think that that's also quite risky as well, because, um, you know, I was just talking to you about, I was teaching patterns. You can teach patterns in many different ways. Um, and I don't think it really matters about the, the person's culture or ethnicity or, um, or any of that. That's sort of also compartmentalizing groups of people in ways that are not helpful and in fact are against um, the people in some ways. I, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and that was very perfect, very well put. Oh gosh, I but, felt like it wasn't. I got to rethink that. Maybe <laughs> no, over a song <laughs> Because I think that culturally responsive teaching is, is such a big thing right now um, without, without the critique behind it. And I think that's an important critique um, that, you know, we're teaching children in front of us and, and how are we, you know, uh, making them separate, I guess. Um, and that's, I would say, that's not to say that kids learn different, like kids do learn differently. You know, it, it takes me, you know, thinking about something in a lot of different ways in order to really understand it deeply. Um, I'm reminded of the film we watch at Spark, The World in Claire's Classroom, and she teaches math to one child at a time because mm -hmm. it's all about having that relationship, that back and forth with the child and understanding where they're coming from and talking through things over and over and over again um, right. that we learn to understand. And, and so I, you know, I don't want to mix those two because I think, of course, we all learn things differently and we understand things differently and it will take certain words or certain activities. Um, but I, I do think that it's um, quite risky to group lumps, uh, to lump groups of people together and say that this, this group of people uh, learns better through memorization and this group of people um, learns better through language and art um, because mm -hmm. I think we can all learn through language, art, and rote memorization, and I think we should. Right. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, a little bit more about, you know, the concept of culturally responsive teaching. Um, and I think it's a, a euphemism in some ways because it, it, what, it's, what its purpose is, is to teach students of color. And so it's a, to me, as you were talking, I was like, oh, right, it's a euphemism to hide the fact that there's a system that produces and reproduces inequities. Um, and it's like a methods fetish, I guess, in some ways, right? Like, do this technique um, without considering that, this, that, that the very design of schools are reproducing inequities. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So. All right. Are we ready to jump into um let's let's hear with Jadiella? Um sure. Or we could do a song hey. first and then do that. Yeah, oh, that's a good idea. That's, that's a good idea. Let's Give people a little break. To, yeah, good point. <laughs> Today Marisa picked all the songs. Fun. <laughs> um so the next song is by Leonard Cohen. Um Everybody knows, and this is uh, live in Dublin. So here we go. Everybody. 
Everybody knows that the dice are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows that the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolates and a long stem rule Everybody knows Everybody knows You love me, baby Everybody knows that you really do Everybody knows that you've been faithful Give or take a little night or two Everybody knows that you've been discreet But there were so many people you just had to meet Without your clothes And everybody knows Everybody knows Every 
Everybody knows it's coming apart Take one last look at this Sacred heart Before it blows And everybody knows Everybody knows really curious about right like is um about teachers of color and math teaching um so I, i was wondering if we could start there like you are a teacher of color right and so do you see many teachers first let's start with that like in your like day to day work and and you know have you worked so many years as a teacher um mm-hmm. do you see a lot of um math teachers of color No, I do not. Um, Unfortunately, most of the time when we are talking about math and science particularly, Mm -hmm. um, usually I am one of the only people of color and usually like I would say the female representation is kind of not seen or not proportional to what we might see like in other grade levels. Um, mm-hmm, particularly mm-hmm. in high school level is very rare and uh, I'm still mm-hmm. waiting to find another math teacher that also speaks Spanish. I haven't yeah. seen that yet. Um, <laughs> I do, yeah. I did meet, I did meet a science teacher that, that spoke Spanish as a second mm-hmm. language, which I felt a little also, um, happy about, but not as mm-hmm. a different color. And honestly, like, I wish, I wish that there were more female teachers of color for that grade level, particularly, um, mm-hmm. particularly for math, since yeah. it is uh, an area that is underrepresented by girls largely. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's kind of concerning because girls, I think, should be represented in those, you know, subjects of science and math and also in the jobs that include right. those. STEM areas. Going off of what you're saying, right? So first off, there's an underrepresentation of women teachers of color in math. So what impact does that have um, on students, particularly particularly students of color, whether they are girls or or boys? Yes, um, I wish I wish it didn't have any. Unfortunately, when when you go at school and you see like people of color are usually the people who are maybe doing ESL help or maybe Mm. they are the paras. And of course it's important. It is very important, but um, those are the people that are usually not a long time in the classroom or the people that have less contact Mm. with the students. So Mm -hmm. I think that it is important for students to be able to see that people like them can get those types of jobs. Right. And that gives them an idea, oh, she does that, maybe I can do it too. Mm-hmm. And and those are like the, the um, I would say, neurological messages that they get that are not necessarily implicit, um, but they're there. And yeah. 
it, it does affect them. And if you see um, most of our our students that actually go to college, they go to college for different things, maybe criminal justice or, or maybe yeah. um, uh, other areas that are definitely not related to math or sciences. I don't even know how to categorize that. It's not even pedagogy, but it's just yeah, diversification of the, of the teacher workforce, right? But yeah. Then there's the the pedagogy aspect of it, right? So I know, like you know, you worked at Apollo Ferry Social Justice Charter School, and so social justice is an important part of your work. So yes. tell me, like, well, first off, tell me how you got into math, and then like, um, how did you? How do you integrate math and social justice um, pedagogically, but also content? And I think a lot of teachers want to know that because yes, many new teachers that I've spoken to find it difficult. Um, it is. I'm just curious. Yeah. It is. It is. It is very difficult, particularly because we need to follow specific curriculums. And mm -hmm. curriculums are going to give you all sorts of mathematics skills that they wish the students had because they're going to be better prepared for college or whatever other reason they make up. Um, mm -hmm. However, the truth is that um, those curricular skills are not the mm -hmm. only important skills or the only important mathematical skills that kids to have. So mm -hmm. when I decided when I decided to go to math, um, I came from art. It was really funny. It was really funny. I always was like a good math and science student, but I really was, um, I entered college for art. I wanted to be a sculptor. Oh, <laughs> and my mom, wow. my mom kept telling me that that was a waste of everything that I could do. <laughs> um, my dad, my dad was okay with it. My, my mom was like, you're going to starve, you know, how people, oh, right. <laughs> when they're like, I'm going to major in art in college. <laughs> but, um, oh. Eventually I, I changed, I changed, but I changed because um, um, however, I really wanted to take the math classes because they were challenging for me and I kind of liked it, the, the challenge. So um, mm -hmm. I, I already had passed my AP pre-calc test and oh not a lot of people passed it. So they kept asking me, why would someone who passed their pre-calc test, like you don't have to take pre-calc, why wouldn't you just continue taking the math classes? So I mm -hmm. did. I started taking the math classes and I started tutoring the people who took the math classes with me. And I realized that I could make some money out of it. And right. eventually when I noticed I had already taken most of the math classes I needed. So I was studying education and art and I changed mm -hmm. to education and mathematics. Um, mm. My counselor was extremely confused, but then when she saw the transcript, she's like, okay, well you have almost all credits. Um, at that moment I had more math credits than <laughs> art credits, which was extremely funny also. Um, right. But honestly, wait, this was in high school. This was already in college. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I went through, so my, my biggest transition was in college because I really didn't know what to do. So I just entered in art because it's what I loved to do, or at least mm -hmm. what I thought. And I realized that, no, I just like doing math. I like sitting here mm -hmm. and figuring mm -hmm. these out. And <laughs> I, I kind of like the competition on the fact that most of my, um, colleagues or peers in the math classes were guys and I yep, could get yep. better grades than they could. And it really made me feel very good also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So okay. When we talk okay. about social justice and math, mm -hmm. um, I like, I like saying we, we need to teach kids about statistics. Mm -hmm. We need to teach them 
to see numbers and be like, oh, these numbers mean this and mm. that. So going to give you an example. Right now we were in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. The coronavirus graphs were more than specific. You could see the slope of the amount of new cases day by day. However, mm -hmm. not a lot of people understood them. And right. I remember posting on Facebook and some of my family members were like, wait, really? What do you mean? <laughs> and I started having these conversations explaining what those graphs meant. Mm -hmm. And I realized, wait, what do you mean? If they cannot understand this for coronavirus, then they haven't been understanding this for anything else. Like right, when we talk right. about racial discrepancies mm. um, or discrimination, well, we measure, right? We see the color of the people, their shade from white to black, right? Mm -hmm. And we measure how many, how many of these people go into detention in school or how many mm. people get pulled over by cops for no reason. And mm -hmm. when you see it, then you can see the pattern right. and you see that there's a pattern of darker people getting more and more, you know, pushback from what we call the law enforcement and the white people getting less, if right. not. Okay. Now, if, if you cannot understand numbers and statistics, mm -hmm. then you cannot see those patterns at all. And you're confused mm -hmm. and it will make sense why people are like, no, that's not true because they don't know. They don't understand the numbers. And I mm -hmm. think that we miss that. How can we teach them how to add, subtract, multiply and divide? And then they don't understand a graph, please. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and so can you like, um, so what, first of all, what grade do you teach or what were you, what grade were you, you were teaching 12th grade? Is that right? I was teaching 12th grade at Paolo, and mm -hmm. um, for the Holyoke Public Schools, I've been teaching 7th, 8th, and 9th grade. Okay, that's great. So can you just sort of give, um, like, I, to I totally see, you know, in terms of statistics, like, can you give, like, a scenario that you, you taught, like, maybe it was a lesson, you know, that sort of in the 12th grade level, um, and also and at the current like seventh, eighth, that level. Um, can you like give examples for, for yes. other teachers? Of course, okay. um, like a, a cool example of a real life issue that we can translate into social justice and math would mm -hmm. be for example, um, the Trail of Tears. We can uh -huh. talk about all of the math that was involved in the Trail of Tears. We can say wow. how many alien Indians or natives were relocated, mm -hmm. um, how many died on their way there, how many died of cold, how many got, died of disease, right? Yeah. What, what happened to those acres and acres of land that they left? What happened mm -hmm. to them? And then we could talk about what was the distance that they walked and how wow. long did it take? And, right, right. and does it make sense, you know? And, mm -hmm. and you can compare those, you can compare those. You could even compare the temperatures on that precise winter versus the other times or the other winters that, that we've seen and be like, mm -hmm. okay, so yeah, that was a very cold winter to be trying mm -hmm. to cross, you know, a river or whatever, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. family. Um, and honestly, like, yes, the numbers will demonstrate how terrible the situation is. And the older the students are, the more in-depth you could go about specifics of their suffering. Mm -hmm. um, 
so that it does not feel like so um, shocking, you know, for the seventh graders, we're not going to tell them, yeah, like babies died and stuff like that, because we don't want to traumatize them like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a conversation that you could have with your 12th graders, if that's the case. Right. Um, And there's other historical moments um, that you could incorporate, you know, social sciences, you can incorporate ELA and also see the numbers and use the numbers to interpret the math and be like, wow, (laughs) you know, um, these people walked so and so and so miles a day in order to make this trail of kilometers, you know, it's, it's Mm -hmm, a month, but it was very, very far away and very, very cold. Right. And many didn't have shoes and yeah. And we could talk about all those things, but really what we're looking at is at the numbers and, Mm -hmm. you know, depending Mm -hmm. on the level that they are, the statistics could be very simple, like fine, mean, medium mode. Um, But then if they're advanced, you could talk about other, you know, um, stuff more like, okay, so what did the curve look like and stuff like that. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio. Um, we're, we were just listening to an interview with Jadiela Cruz. Um, she is a math coach, um, in, in the Holyoke public schools. Um, I used to actually work with her. She's an, a great math teacher. Um, but right now she's not in any one particular school. She uh, just works in the, in the school district to help, um, students, uh, with, with math overall and coach them. Um, so Marisa, what are some of your thoughts um, about what Jadiello was saying about math? And I, I just realized, you know, you had mentioned patterns and she also mentioned patterns and how it's important to, to really recognize them. Yeah, I actually, I was thinking so much about what she started with when she talked about art. And <laughs> I was thinking about, um, we've been creating a syllabi for science for pre-service teachers and um, there are these cross-cutting concepts about scale and proportion and patterns and um, and I I think it's so important to make sure that when we're we're doing everything we're pointing out to ourselves and to the children that we teach well that's you know you're looking at this and that's that's about proportions you know you're looking at using the um the the amount of yellow and blue to make a green you're using a little bit more yellow and a little bit less blue to make this kind of a green um that's that's about proportion and scale but then you can also be talking about um, you know, wealth of individuals in the United States. And you can also talk about proportion and scale in that sense as well. Um, I was thinking about patterns and where else we see those patterns, you know, not necessarily on graphs, but in nature. Um, so when we're out in the woods at our outdoor classroom and we're looking at um, patterns in nature, like the actual lines on the tree or the the symmetry on the um, walnut shell, um, we're, we're teaching kids to look for and make sense of patterns, um, which is one of our common core standards. I'll have, to, I'll, I'll have you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but we're doing it in a way that's, you know, crossing the, the person-imposed uh, boundaries of math class and art class and, you know, statistics or whatever it is. So 
I, I was thinking a lot about that and how I can do better in my, my own teaching with my own kids about um, making that explicit for them too. I think the, the practice for me as a teacher is like, how do I make that um, clear to them? Because we can observe and observe and observe, but without someone facilitating the analysis, then um, we're, we're, you know, what are we doing? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Because, you know, as we, you know, from children to adulthood, we interact with the world um, and we, we make the world. We need that clarity um, of what our interaction with the world is. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that Washington never told a lie. I learned that soldiers seldom die. I learned that everybody's free. That's what the teacher said to me. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that policemen are my friends. I learned that justice never ends. I learned that murderers die for the crimes, even if we make a mistake sometime. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned our government must be strong. It's always right and never wrong. Our leaders are the finest men, and we elect them again and again. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that war is not so bad. I learned about the great ones we have had. We fought in Germany and in France, and someday I might get my chance. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. Have you fallen behind on your utility bills? You're not alone. Many Vermonters are struggling with their finances. The Vermont Department of Public Service has received federal funding to help Vermont households pay their overdue electric, natural gas, regulated private water, and landline telephone bills. If you've suffered an economic hardship because of COVID and need assistance, you may be eligible. Funding is available on a first-come, first-served basis, and the deadline to apply is November 20th. To learn more or apply, call the Vermont Department of Public Service at 800-622-4496. Email psd.consumer at vermont.gov or visit publicservice.vermont.gov and click on the link Vermont COVID-19 Arrearage Assistance Program. This public service message has been brought to you by WBEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Today, you've been hearing from me, Marisa, and Nina Kunimoto, and we've been talking about math and social justice. Um, we heard from Jadiela Cruz uh, today talking about statistics and how she uh, works with social justice and math in her classrooms. Um, and Nina, I have to say, I you, you said that I had chosen all the songs. So I feel like I should explain why I chose them. <laughs> so I like um, that song. That yeah, we use that one a lot. And it's, um, it's Pete Seeger. What did you learn in school today? And it's a little uh, coy, but also a reality that we're teaching a lot of um, patriotism that is not um, necessarily true. And so I, I, I paired that with the um, Everybody Knows song by Leonard Cohen because, you know, in, in listening to Jadiela talk about um, analyzing and understanding the world around us and graphs and data and statistics, um, it's, you know, the wool has been pulled over our eyes and, and it's done that it's purposeful. You know, it's on purpose that we are not... Um, invited, in fact, and we're pre prevented from analyzing the world um, in ways that will liberate people. So, um, so that's why I chose those two songs. And, and I think this, the speakers today and, and the last time as well, um, the math interview from last time, you know, we all want math to be a vehicle of liberation. Yeah. And, and math definitely can be a tool to see clearly, um, but it's not necessarily taught in that manner purposefully um, as you state but it's interesting because in last week's interview that's towards the end of the interview with Patrick O'Neill that's exactly what he says you know that um, schools teach a, through the textbooks and just through what teachers teach or and don't teach a lot of patriotism he's making some connections there okay so we're gonna go um, jump back into the interview and finish out um, the interview with Jadiela Cruz, who is a math coach in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I've always found, you know, sort of this integration of like the social sciences with math to be so powerful. Like, you know, you can within that conversation about the mean, median and mode or the curve, like you, it, it can also be like interpretation. Like you can start like taking that data and interpreting it as well. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what data is for in someone's ways. And I know in, in history and social studies, you go over certain um, frameworks that are specific to, okay, so if I have all that information, which are the reliable sources? This applies mm -hmm. to math too. So where mm -hmm. are my, my numbers coming from? Because it's not the same if I, we had, a, I don't know, some government agency um, hired this specific private company versus this um, individuals made a cohort and they are doing the statistics. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have to choose, okay, so which are the numbers that I can believe? Which are the numbers mm -hmm. that are stating the reality? Because right. unfortunately, in, in data analysis, the omission mm -hmm. of any of the variables could be terrible, you know? Mm -hmm. Like right now, like we were talking about um, skin colors. Like there's people that be, yeah. oh, I don't see color. That would be very dangerous because if you don't right. see color, you don't see patterns, you know? Right, right. And, and that, could be, that could be triggering. That could be a problem. And right. the 
you could do that with other statistics as well. And we can talk about the ethical issues related to that. It's not the same. Mm. I'm saying mean, median mode on the amount of rain versus lives of people. Like this are the, the amount of people that are dying of mm-hmm. a famine in Yemen, for example, and, and have that, that conversation, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm currently taking applied sampling. But the one thing that my professor did this past Monday, our first class was at the end of class. He was like, oh, I was told that I should give you all a presentation about this. And that's exactly what he gave us a presentation about, which was he showed us um, like graphs, graphs of of like politicians or presented in Congress. And um, it was something about planned Planned Parenthood. Uh, increased abortion and decrease in um, what was it decrease in like preventive care and he was like take a look at the graph really carefully of course I'm like wow I don't know (laughs) you know the scale look at the scale and so you know even those little things in the general Mm -hmm. population you know of these like graphs and things that are presented you know in the news for example to how my professor said to manipulate, um, opinion. you know, it's just like, even me, like, I was like, Oh my gosh, like you really have to read these graphs and like the scale and like this and that. Like, and it's, yeah. and it's funny. It's funny because people see the graphs on very important stuff and they do not notice the scales. But if they're talking about the statistics of the NBA, trust me, they know what they're talking about. <laughs> it's incredible. It's so funny. <laughs> That's funny. Um, that shows what most people are interested in. Oh my um, god! Kind <laughs> of curious, like in your current position, and I, and I'm, I don't know if like you have the opportunity to like incorporate some of the social justice aspects of math in your current position because you're 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 working with a younger population, right? Yeah. Well, I I always try to do it, like. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that they give us, I always try to incorporate some further application on real life. And particularly, I, I like I like trying to bring numbers and topics that are related to social justice issues. Because for me, it's just so important that our students open their eyes and wake up to the realities of the world that we live in. That's, That's for me amazing. the only way that they can really advocate for themselves if they know what's right. going on. So I always try to incorporate. So if we're talking about geometry and rotations and whatever, Mm -hmm. then maybe we could incorporate the topic of construction and we could talk about where does constructions happen and Mm. why would they clear acres and acres of land to do so-and-so building, you know, and and those conversations kind of shift a little bit away from the topic of geometry itself, but we could have those conversations and and talk about it. Now, if you're talking about, for example, volume oh well let's talk about volume so volume of water in a cup versus Mm -hmm. volume of water in an entire reservoir and Mm -hmm. to what cost was this reservoir built because there's Mm -hmm. like so many tons of gallons of water whatever in that reservoir but to what cost yeah yeah and and we could also like extend like to that conversation because usually reservoirs i discovered very recently that they were made out of drowning cities everybody has to and we're gonna drown that for me that was Mm -hmm. incredibly um i like for for me i come from a small island where that does not happen so when i discovered Mm -hmm. and they're talking about i'm like wait what 
but those are also like like things that we can definitely talk about and incorporate in our lessons, you know? That's helpful for me to think about math different. That sometimes we just talk about math at this classroom subject and we completely forget mm. that math, it's everywhere. Like in the place that I live in, the budget mm. that I use, um, mm. the, you know, the things that I have to pay for my insurance, if I have an accident, whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and we, you know, I just try to always bring it back to the things that we know, the things that we can touch, the things that we can relate mm. to. And that mm -hmm. way it's just easier for everybody to understand the numbers. <laughs> right. And also probably to be able to connect with it and also like to be able to like enjoy it a little bit more. Like, I, of course, it's pertinent. Once it's pertinent, you actually enjoy it because you understand, oh, this is what it is, you know? <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, WVEW. And we were just... Uh, listening to an interview with um, Jariela Cruz. She is a uh, mathematics coach in Holyoke, Massachusetts. And um, we were talking about, you know, the, all the different ways that, um, I, I usually just call her Jari for short, the, all the different ways that Jari integrates. Um, and, and I find it so comprehensive and um, and I, I was just like, oh, yeah. And, you know, so many ways she, <laughs> like, brings the, the, the social and the economic, you know, um, and the political along into the math. And I just, it enriches um, mathematics for me. All of the things that she said made me think of all of these other things. I, I can't wait to meet her in person someday. Um, like I was thinking um, when she was saying, talking about the volume and you all were, were talking about scale and, I, you know, the volume of water in a glass versus the water, the the gallons of water in a reservoir, you know, we're taught in within capitalism to look at our own individual choices as being like the end all be all, you know, conserve water, you know, take shorter showers, um, <laughs> you know, don't, you know, turn the water off and you brush your teeth. And I, I tell Christopher to do that too, but, <laughs> but, you know, it's um, completely masking the extraordinary exploitation of water resources done on a large scale by large scale um, by corporations um, and and it just is reiterating this whole idea that you know the individual can make good or bad choices but the corporations you know are never really analyzed um, mm -hmm. and and I think she brings it up too and she says you know I, I need to know about this to to understand my own bills you know we're, we're taught not to understand our bills, but <laughs> we're taught that it's our fault that, you know, uh, the water is drying up or there's not, you know, the pollution mm -hmm. is happening. So as individuals, I thought that was very interesting. We've talked to people who work with high school students and middle school students and elementary school students. And there's been a lot of talk in my town recently about age appropriateness of certain subjects. And so mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to reiterate that um, when we're teaching math in this way and we're teaching kids to look for patterns and think about scale and proportion and that they're going to be asking the questions that are pertinent to them and relevant to them. And they're going to be asking those questions about race and mm -hmm. inequity and justice. And we're going to have to be responding to those. But yeah. just in the act of teaching them about making those connections, um, we're making that conversation available for them and i and it can happen at any age absolutely and it just what you're saying right now reminds me of um 
something that uh, David Stovall had said in one of his videos um, I was listening to recently. And he was talking about age appropriateness and, you know, and it, again, it's about conversations around race and, and conversations around um, social inequities. And he's like, you know, if a four-year-old is confronted and, you know, he's talking about um, students of color, children of color in Chicago, if they're confronted the violence in their community, then they can, you know, they are, it is age appropriate. <laughs> they are ready to talk about race and inequities in society. He's saying the same thing of you know, these things at any age need to be talked about because as um, James Baldwin says, right, children pick up on these things without even us saying it. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's in the air, it's in the gestures, it's, you know, all around us. So, you know, teachers should be taking on the, the task of verbalizing and analyzing and guiding and being prepared to do it too i think um you know it's our responsibility to be having them all right you get to choose the song oh uh, well we're Nadelle? definitely definitely gonna do nina simone okay great because she's, <laughs> she's one of my favorites yeah <laughs> we're gonna go out with nina simone i wish Yay. it i knew how it would feel to be free and yes. um and I think this is connected to the liberation that mathematics and analysis can provide us um, and that we need to shift to that way of doing math um, with ourselves and with the children that we teach. Marisa, thanks so much for co-hosting today. And for people who are listening, we're co-hosting on Zoom. <laughs> my cat's been crawling all over my shoulders. It's been great. <laughs> yes, it's been fun to watch. <laughs> Thank you, Nina. Right. I appreciate it. <laughs>
the sea Then I'd sing Cause I know How it feels To be free Then I'd sing Cause I know I could break all the things that bind us apart. Wish you could know what it means to be me. And you'd see, you'd agree. Everybody should be free, cause if we ain't, we're murderous. Like a bird in the sky. How sweet it would be. I could find that I could fly to the sun. Look down and see me. I know. Yes, I know. Oh, yeah. It's moving now. Oh, uh-huh. 